I believe there's a God. Yeah, I believe, I believe. But do you believe what he says? Because see, here's the deal. Those who come to him must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, what about those who don't? See, people who believe in him, oftentimes, they don't seek him. They don't diligently seek him. They just mentally assent that he is, and then they wait for the good old by and by, one good old getting up morning or something like that. But when we believe in him and we believe him, then we know that there is a work that he has called us to do now. It's a matter of seeking his face for what that work is and allowing him to order our steps to enable us to accomplish what he has called us to do. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Jehovah speaks to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Abram responds to Jehovah by saying that Jehovah has given him much, but Jehovah has not given him an heir, and all his possessions would be inherited by a servant born in his house. Jehovah assured Abram that a servant would not become his heir, and that Abram's heir would come from his own loins. A covenant was made between Jehovah and Abram that included Abram's seed being too great to number. Abram believed in the Lord, and the Lord counted it to Abram for righteousness. Today's study title is Jehovah's Covenant with Abram. So, let's study. Again, as I stated, we are in Genesis chapter number 15, and we're looking at the covenant that Jehovah made with Abram. And so Jehovah's covenant with Abram, and as you're going to see as we continue to go through uh, Genesis, there will be other places where there's a repetition or repeat of what he has said. He reiterates, but he's also going to add to the covenant. Those of you who were with us as we were dealing with uh, Noah, we know that first father made a a covenant with Noah. But after the flood, he made a covenant with Noah and with Noah's sons. And then he made a covenant with Noah, Noah's sons, and then the entire earth. And that's where the rainbow comes in for not only uh, man, but for the animals. What father said he would never again destroy the earth by flood. And as a sign of the covenant, as a token of the covenant, we have the rainbow. And so here, Jehovah is about to make a covenant with Abram, and he's going to reveal to us through this particular passage why he brought Abram out of the land of Ur. You remember last week that Abram had restored the people and the, that Lot had been taken, Lot's family had been taken, Uh, the king of Sodom, uh, the king of Gomorrah, and the other kings, their possessions had been taken. And Abram went out and he defeated these kings who had come in and pillaged the land. He restored to Lot that which had been taken. And of course, the priest of Salem came and greeted him. And after that, we enter into chapter 15, where father now, after Abram gave tithes of all, That's what we discussed last week, tithes of all, and we looked at all of the variety of things that Abram gave tithe of, and then Father speaks to Abram. In verse number one, after these things, and those things was what we just spoke about, the word of Jehovah came unto Abram in a vision. The word of Jehovah came unto Abram in a vision. And typically, when we see the word of Jehovah coming, as we'll see later, it's prophetically, that he speaks to the prophets, the word of Jehovah come unto such and such, and and he declared. But here it is Father and Abram. And so what Father is about to deal with Abram 
is not so much for Abram to prophesy, but he's going to speak to him about what he's going to do in his life. And so after these things, the word of Jehovah came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now, if you take the time to look at some of these words, it'll help you understand why he makes the statement that he's going to make after hearing this. The language of the verses indicate that Jehovah was Abram's reward or provider. And one of the words for this is wage, is wage. Another word for I am your exceeding great reward is hire. That if you work, here is your hire. If you work, here is your wage. And so Father reveals himself to Abram as his provider And he says, I am your exceeding great reward. Not only am I your shield, am I your protector, but I am your rewarder. I am your provider. I am the one who is going to meet your needs. And so this statement of introduction leads Abram to respond with, well, what can you give me seeing I have no child? Now, if you remember, Abram had already gone up to Egypt but he told her Abram to come out of her of the Chaldean. He left Haran with all of the souls that he had acquired in Haran. He goes up to Egypt while there's a famine in the land. And the Bible says he leaves Egypt and he is a very rich man. He has much cattle. He has much gold. He has much silver. And so basically, Abram is a very wealthy person to where even after this particular fight, he could have been even more wealthy, but he vowed that he wouldn't take anything, although he was certainly entitled to all of it. He wouldn't take anything because he was already wealthy. And he says, well, what can you give me seeing that I have no child? And Like many of us, Abram being human, we spend our lives and we accumulate, we gather. If you work, then you have stuff. (laughs) If you work and you have money, then you buy stuff or you save your money. You put it away. But then we all realize that we're going to die and we can't take all the stuff we've accumulated with us. So now the question is, is what are we going to do with everything? Abram had a lot of wealth and it's like, you know what? You've given me everything. It's not that I need any more stuff. But the question is, is what am I going to do with the stuff when I'm gone? I have no heir. I have no child. (laughs) And then he says something that he says, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And it's interesting that in this particular verse, the word steward is the same word for son. It's bean or bane or ben. And the word means son, grandson, child, member of a group, male child. And in this particular case, now remember, Abram is saying, and the steward of my house is Eliezer. But then later on, he's going to make a statement. He's saying, and Abram said, Lord, Jehovah, what will thou give me seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And so he's saying, you've given me much, but you've not given me an heir. And therefore, everything I have will be inherited by one born in my house. And even though it indicates that he was born in his house, he could have. We don't know if Eleazar was purchased, if he was the son of someone Abram had purchased. But the point is, is remember when he went out, to fight, there were the armed mans born in his house. Now, Abram didn't have any children. He armed the men he had trained that were born in his house. 
And here in this next verse, we're going to see that this Eleazar seems to have been born in his house. And what that actually means, whether he was born in the house, we don't really know. So it appears Abram had already chosen Eleazar of Damascus as the heir of his estate. Because the fact is, is that he can't take it with him. And he's going to leave it to somebody. And so in verse 3, it says, And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Now, I've made the statements, and it's going to continue to be proven out, that in the Torah, a servant or slave was not to be treated like we have historical reckonings of how slaves were treated. In other words, as we talked about even last week, when it came down to the commands, the Torah, the Bible tells us that the Torah was for all people that were a part of the household of faith. In other words, there was one law and there was not two laws. In other words, everyone who was in service, whether they were born, native-born, or whether they joined themselves, or whether they were bought with money. And so when Father gave the Torah or gave the written instructions, we see that in the Sabbath command, he says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. You are to do no work, neither you, your sons, your daughters, your male or female servants or slaves, or your animals. And the servants were, according to the law, to be treated with the same dignity and respect as a son or daughter. This was according to the commandments. And Father especially wanted Israel. He wanted his people to know what it was like to be, be mistreated so that they would not treat other people the way they had been treated. And this is why I believe that golden rule is we are to treat other people or do unto them as we would want them to do unto us, not treat people like they've treated us, but to treat them the way Father would have us treat them, to honor people, to deal with people respectfully, even when they may not deserve respect. Messiah takes us a step further and he says, pray for them who despitefully misuse you. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. And these are difficult commands to follow, but what we find here is that Abram is saying in his own words, the heir of my house is a servant. Everything that I have, he's going to turn it over to a servant because he has no heir. At least this is his thinking, you see. And when we are the kind of servants like we find Abram to be, which is an example before Messiah, the way Abram treated his servants, the way Abram treated people, is how we can learn how to treat people. And so I find it fascinating. Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Jehovah assured Abram that Eleazar would not be his heir, and that Abram's heir would come from his own bowels or his own inward parts. And so he says, And behold, the word of Jehovah came unto him, saying, This shall not be your heir. This shall not be your heir. And so he's having this conversation with Abram, and Abram is, is like, you know what? Again, you can't take it with you. You have to leave it to someone. And he has trained him. And I suspect that because of Eliezer's training, that as the steward, he would treat the other servants well. Can you imagine being the steward, being the servant, 
being trained, because Abram uh, was chosen, the Bible say, because he was going to teach his children the instructions or the commandments of Jehovah. <laughs> and so father says, no, he will not be your heir. Your heir is going to come from your own bowels. And then he reveals to Abram that his seed would be too great in number. And so he says in verse 5, and he brought him forth. Now remember, he's speaking to him. He's showing him a vision. He's giving him instructions. His word is coming. And so he brought him forth abroad or he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, so shall your seed be. Now, what he's saying here is that the number of your children are going to be too vast to number. You see, just as you're not able to count the stars, you will not be able to count your seed. And then I have to remind people because Abram not only had Abram, had Isaac who had Jacob and Esau, and then Jacob who had the 12 sons or 11 sons and two grandsons. Well, actually, he had 12 sons. Yeah, 12 sons and two grandsons, Joseph not being one, and Levi. Sometimes that's a little bit confusing because we think of 12 tribes, and I think of land. I think of the land that is allotted. But Levi was not given land. Joseph's land was divided. And so we have Levi not having land, Joseph not having land, but his two sons having land. And so we got 12 tribes, but we got more than 12 lands. So we got 12 tribal lands and then two extra who don't get land, which is Joseph and and Levi. So kind of have to keep that in the mind as you're thinking about these things. But it's also easy to forget that not only did Abram have Isaac, who had Esau and Jacob, who had those sons, but that Abram had Ishmael first. And when father's speaking to his seed and he's telling him to number the seed, he's not talking about Israel only. He's talking about Ishmael's seed. And then remember when Sarah died and he married Keturah. And Keturah gave him six sons, their seed. And so that's a lot of seed that is going to be spread. First of all, Abraham doesn't have children. Sarah now gets a child, but she gives Hagar, the handmaid to Abram. And then later on after she died and and Hagar has been removed from the rest of the tribes and he gets married again. And then he gives all those sons gifts and send them away. But these are all Abram's seed. And we cannot neglect that when father says, look at the heaven and tell the stars to see if you'll be able to number them, so shall thy seed be. Don't get it twisted thinking that it's all going to be Israel that is going to be this vast number of the seed of Abram. We got to keep all of that in mind because many people forget that Abram had more than Isaac who had Esau, and who had Jacob. And so that's important to keep in mind. And when we look at the land mass, because we're going to look at the land mass, that the land that father promised Abram was not just the land of Israel. Matter of fact, Israel is like a dot, a speck in the land mass that is promised to Abram, as we'll see in a moment. And so now the Bible says Abram believed Jehovah. Now, this is one of those places where this word in is not put in italics. It's like, and he believed in. He believed in. The fact is, is that he believed. And the reason why I can say this with authority is not based on my interpretation, but based on what is written. And I'll show you. And he believed in the Lord here. He believed Jehovah, is what it says, and he counted it to him for righteousness. 
So how can I say that? Well, there's the evidence. In Romans 4.3, Paul wrote, For what said the scripture? Abram believed Jehovah. He doesn't say he believed in. It says he believed Jehovah, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. In another place, in Galatians, Paul writes, Even as Abram believed Elohim, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then James chimes in when he writes in James 2.23, and the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abram believed. And as I've said, there's a difference in believing in and believing. There are people who believe in Yeshua, but don't believe Yeshua. They say, well, I believe in him, but he says the works he do, you shall do. Well, we can't do that. Well, wait a minute, you don't believe what he said? Even Yeshua said, those who believed in him, he says, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And those who believed in him begin to argue with him. See, there's people who will believe in, but they won't believe. And so it's one thing to say, I believe in God. It's another thing to say, I believe him. And so you can talk to people all day. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. I believe there's a God. Yeah, I believe. I believe. But do you believe what he says? Because, see, here's the deal. Those who come to him must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, what about those who don't? See, people who believe in him, oftentimes, they don't seek him. They don't diligently seek him. They just mentally assent that he is, and then they wait for the good old by and by, one good old getting up morning or something like that. But when we believe in him and we believe him, then we know that there is a work that he has called us to do now. It's a matter of seeking his face for what that work is and allowing him to order our steps to enable us to accomplish what he has called us to do. And so we've got these witnesses, Paul twice, James, where it says he believed, not he believed in. And so Jehovah explains to Abram, now, the reason why he brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees. And the reason was to give him his own land to inherit. Remember, he says, listen, I want you to leave your father, your father's house, and your kinfolk. I want you to leave, and you're going to go to a place that I will show you. So Abram left. But he took his father, he took his nephew and Sarah, they went up to Haran, and when Haran, when Terah died, they left Haran, and they came into Canaan, which was the land they set out from Ur to go to, but they just stopped in Haran for a while for whatever reason. And so the land of Canaan was the land that he was called out of Ur, not the land of Haran, but the land of Canaan. And so he finally made it into Canaan. Remember, we posed the question, had he left? and came into Canaan, things could have been different. But now that he's finally come into the land that he left Ur to come to, but made a pit stop in Haran, now he's in the midst of a famine. Now, we can't say that the famine was not going to come, even if he'd have come straight from Ur of the Chaldees to the land of Canaan. But it's interesting that Father would call him to come into the land of Canaan. He stops in Hitron. He finally comes to Canaan, and now he finds himself in Egypt because of a famine with his wife living in <laughs> Pharaoh's mansion. Now, I don't see this in the writings, but I remember watching the movie, and Abram used to pace outside the gates. <laughs> <laughs> that was the movie version. <laughs> I don't see that in the writings, but, you know, hey, Abram was worried about what was going on in Pharaoh's house. Verse 7, And he said unto him, I am Jehovah that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Now, I find this phrase 
to be a little bit, it doesn't settle. If you're giving it to me, why do I have to inherit it? You see, inheriting something is something that's going to be passed down. But he says, I brought you here to give thee this land to inherit it. So, of course, it caused me to look up this word. And the word inherit here is to seize, to dispossess, to take possession of, inherit or disinherit the current occupants, <laughs> to occupy. Because remember, Abram really never dispossessed the people. He dwelt in the land. And when Israel, his descendants, were brought in the land, they now had to drive out the inhabitants. And so he's saying, I'm giving you this land, but you got to take it. And so Father is giving us stuff, but we got to take it. You know, even the Bible says that since the days of Johanan the Immerser, the kingdom has suffered violence. But the violent take it by force. And there's been, you know, many types of interpretations. But here's what I've come to realize. Father has given us everything that we need. There is nothing that you need that he hasn't already given you. By his stripes, we were healed, not we're going to be healed. So when it comes down to what Father has done, there is a possessing that we now have to do. I have to lay claim to what he has done. He has made it available but I now have to take it. It's almost like saying, here, I'm giving you this. You gonna come get it? <laughs> Are you gonna take it out of my hand? You gotta take it. You gotta now receive it. And so he says, I'm giving you this land to inherit it. And I can imagine Abram is saying, okay, but there are people already inhabiting the land. See, it's one thing for us to be talking about enlarging our territories. <laughs> but the territory is already occupied. There's squatters. The devil has seemingly taken possession of things that Father has given us, and now we have to dispossess the devil in order to take the possession which is rightfully ours. And that's part of the challenge of our walk. See, the strong, those who know him shall be strong and will do exploits. It's amazing that every piece of ground out here is already owned by somebody. There is no land anywhere on earth that is not owned by someone or someone who is claiming ownership, even islands out in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> Somebody has laid claim to every piece of land, every landmass, even water territories, and yet it belongs to him. The earth is his the fullness thereof, they and all that dwell therein. And not only have there people who have laid claim to the land, but they have laid claim to the people in the land. These are my people. Just like the king of Sodom came and said, listen, you can keep the stuff, but give me the people back. It's like these people belong to me. So how do your government, how do our government lay hold of us and claim us as its citizens and make laws pertaining to us as its citizens that we now have to obey? So we belong to him, but they lay in claim. <laughs> so we have to decide where our allegiance lies. Do we pledge allegiance or do we pledge allegiance? 
You can't serve two masters. See? And so he says to Abram, I'm giving you this land for you to inherit. But you're going to have to take claim. You're going to have to dispossess. You're going to have to take possession of it. Looking at the challenge before him and the fact that the land was occupied, Abraham asked for assurance. It's like, how do I know? And he said, Jehovah Elohim, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And here's where he makes the covenant. Now, what's interesting is father could have drove those people off the land. He sure could have. He could have just zapped them all. But he gave Abram work. He gave Isaac work. He gave Jacob work. He gives us work. And I'm going to tell you, this mindset goes into so many different areas. It's very difficult to occupy, to inherit, to take possession of when you got a renter's mentality. Now, I don't mean no harm. I'm just calling it like it is. See, renters don't think like owners. It's a whole different way of thinking. There's some serious adjustments that have to go on in the psyche. And with owner, there's more work where there has to be a change in thinking and occupying, knowing that to take possession of it, now I become responsible for it. And many have been trained to have a renter's mentality instead of an ownership mentality. If the land has been given to you, you become responsible for the land. Or you could just go and live in it and let it be somebody else's responsibility. So to take possession, to take occupancy, to occupy, means that you take on an owner's mind instead of a renter's mind. And there are people who have that kind of mindset. It's unfortunately that the majority of them are worldly. Believers have to take on that kind of mind. And for this reason, I cannot blame a people who want a homeland. They want to determine their own destiny develop safety for their own people. And there used to be a time in American history where that mindset, unfortunately, it was master and slave, where people wanted to take land, wanted to take possession and established industry and built business and had hundreds and thousands of acres to divvy among their descendants. But descendants today want to live in the city in some high-rise, even in condominiums. I mean, a condominium is nothing but a glorified apartment. When you think about it, with no land associated with it. And brick and mortar is, (laughs) it deteriorates. If you don't have land, if you don't occupy land, you really don't have much say. And this is where you have borders and boundaries. But again, it's a mindset. And what Father is saying to Abram, because Abram is coming into a land that he don't own, but his father owns. And he said, this is my land. There's some people here. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it for you to inherit. I'm with you. And he's saying, listen, how how do I know I'm going to inherit this land? Because after all, Abram is sojourning. He's following the voice of the Almighty, and the Almighty has led him here. And he says, here is the land that I'm going to give you and your descendants, now you shall inherit it. Jehovah gives Abram some instructions which he follows to the letter. And he said unto him, take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old. So now Abram has got to have some kind of knowledge of the age of these animals. 
Because when Father gives instructions, they're specific instructions. He didn't say a two-year-old heifer or one-and-a-half-year-old heifer or four-year-old heifer. He said a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old she-goat, not a he-goat, a ram of three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And it's like, okay, I get the animals. I get the goat. I get the heifer. But now Abram has got to catch a a pigeon. (laughs) I don't think he was raising pigeons and turtle doves. So he's got to figure out. I mean, think about this, brothers and sisters. He's got to figure out how to trap a turtle dove. He's got to figure out how to trap a pigeon. (laughs) And then after he does that, he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against the other. So now he's got to slaughter these animals. But see, none of this is in the narrative. And unless you engage in what's going on here, because what he has done is he's taken these animals, he's caught the turtle dove, he's caught the pigeon, he kills the animal, he cuts the animal, he's got to do something with the blood, he's got to do something with the organs, and then he lays them out. He puts them out, he divides them in the midst and laid each piece against another. So you've got a part of the heifer here and a part of the heifer here. You got a part of the she-goat here and, and here, and then a ram here and here. The birds, the Bible says, he didn't divide them up. In other words, he didn't cut them. And then he stands guard. And now there's fowls coming. So he stands guard, he guards the piece, and I call these predator fowls because animal fowls, birds of the air that are not predators are not going to be trying to eat dead things, see? So the fowl of the air gives me ideas of what type that he's got to guard against, whether it vultures or some kind of hawk or some kind of fowl that doesn't necessarily work for his food. They're scavenger, crows and and things of that nature. And so Abram now has got a guard, and he guards his sacrifice, if you would, but there's no altar. He's just doing the instructions. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a horror of great darkness come upon him as Jehovah spoke to him about what would happen to his descendants in the future. So he's given him these instructions. He does it, and Jehovah is telling Abram about what would happen to his descendants over 400 years into the future before Abram has one child. And I really, you know, as I engage in the narrative, as I'm reading and I'm thinking about this, it's like Father is showing Abram his descendants' future. He's speaking to him about his descendants. And we're going to find out later that this is four generations. Now, a brother asked me the other day, well, what's a generation? And generations are different. During the time of Abram, you know, Abram had his first child. How old was he? (laughs) Who was his first child? You see how you got engaged? The question was actually intentional. Because when we think of Abram's age and child, it's not that Ishmael is part of the equation in our narrative of thinking. Because we've been so groomed to think Israel, 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 Israel. Whereas as we're talking about Abram, Abram had Ishmael and Abram had the sons of Keturah. And so if somebody wants to put a generation, a generation from Noah, how old was Noah when his sons were born? See, because a generation is from the time you were born to the time you have a child. So if you have a child when you're 14, then that's a generation. But if you don't have a child until you're in your 40s, that's a generation. And in Bible days, if you don't have a child until you're 100, that's a generation. So you can't necessarily put a number to a generation. It's from the time of birth to the time you bring forth your first child. 
And so a generation varies from person to person. But he's going to say to him, it's going to be 400 years indicating four generations, but we'll see this. Verse 11, and when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land. Now he's asking him, How will I know that I will inherit this land? <laughs> and he starts speaking to him about his seed. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. So Jehovah states that he will judge the nation that afflicts his people, and they will come out with great substance. In verse 14, and he says also, that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And this is why Pharaoh and his army perished because of what they did to the children of Israel. And here's the thing about Jehovah and his promises. If he say he's going to do something, you can count on it. But he told Abram he was going to give him a child. He told him he was going to give him this land. Abram saw the child, but he didn't see his seed multiply to an uncountable amount of people because the seed of Abraham is still multiplying. And he says, and I will judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. Now Jehovah turns Abram's attention to his own mortality, informing him he would live to a good old age, and his descendants will come to this land, and that he has given Abram to inherit in the fourth generation. Verse 15, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come Hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And so this whole iniquity of the Amorite, as we're going to go through, we're going to see that the Amorites are going to do some things that they haven't already done while he's speaking to Abram because not only is he speaking about Abram's seed future, He's speaking about the nation that is going to afflict Abram's seed. It hasn't happened. He's talking about the Amorites whose iniquity has not yet filled up things that hasn't happened. So it's like the spirit of Jehovah is speaking to Abram and showing him things that will come. And that's what the spirit does for us today. The Holy Spirit's responsibility is to show us things that are afar off. The Holy Spirit will give us insight into things that are to come. Just as the Holy Spirit revealed to Mary that she would be the mother of Messiah. He came and told her that she had favor and that she would be, but she had to receive it. She had to embrace it. And when she said, be it done unto me as you have spoken, that was part of that process of father speaking and her laying claim or coming in agreement with and then walking out what he has spoken. He's speaking of some things that is going to happen. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And so now here's the pieces laid out and this smoking furnace and burning lamp, which some says could be the almighty to where he's walking between the pieces. And it doesn't show us what happens to the pieces, either the pieces burn or the pieces are cooked or whatever. We don't get to see that but it shows us this smoking furnace and burning lamp that passed between the pieces. And then it just moves and transitions into verse 18. In the same day, Jehovah made a covenant with Abram, saying, unto your seed I have given this land. It's so amazing. Unto your seed I have given you this land, but I haven't given you a seed yet. Your seeds is going to be all over this land. And Abram is like, okay. See, Father, speak those things that are not as though they were. 
He speaks things that are not as though they were. And this is why it's so important if Father has spoke some things to you and they've not yet come to pass, does that mean that they're not going to come to pass? So what do you do? In the meantime, you hold on to those words because those words are words to war with. Those words are words to stand on. Those words are words to live on and to bank on. If he speaks to you, you can take it to the bank. There's some things that he has spoken to me that have not yet come to pass. So if somebody comes to me and tell me, you know, such and such things, and it doesn't line up with what he has spoken, it's like, you know what? Am I going to allow what somebody speaks to me to nullify what he has spoken? So I got to judge. Well, first of all, I got to judge the words that I'm holding on to to make sure they came from him. And if somebody's coming to me to say something that is contrary, then I judge those words. And this is where, you know, you can't be afraid. You can't be timid. You can't have men pleasing. You can't be trying to please people. See, because if you've got this thing about trying to please other people on you, then you may find yourself displeasing the Most High. Because he gives you stuff to stand on, and here come people with strong, strong, aggressive spirits. <laughs> trying to move you off your square. Trying to take control. Trying to direct you and guide you and tell you what you should do. When he has already spoken to you, and if what they're saying is contrary to what he's saying, then you either reject what he say or you have to reject what they say. Now, in verse 18, in the same day, Jehovah made a covenant with Abram, saying, unto your seed have I given this land. Here's the thing, brothers. He says, unto your seed have I given this land. And then he makes this statement, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And if you don't have a map, you don't have a clue. And this is why I take the liberty of putting a map. And if you notice the red lines, now I want to show you something, brothers and sisters. You see that red line? You've got in there Lebanon, Israel, Jordan, Iraq, Kuwait, Bahrain, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Oman, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, parts of Egypt. Now on another map, it goes across Saudi Arabia, the land of Saudi Arabia. But I suspect that the land Father has given Israel is from the Mediterranean to the Red Sea. That's what I suspect. Because he just gives us from the great river in Egypt to the Euphrates River as far as the width, but he doesn't give us the length thereof. And so that's why I think some of the maps show something a little different. But in the middle of all that red line, Israel currently occupy that. <laughs> you see that? From that to that. You see? I just want to go back and forth. This is what he gave Abram. He gave Abram this. He says, all of this, but now you got to possess it. And to possess it, you got to dispossess. When Israel came into Canaan, the land was already occupied. There were people in the land. There were people in the land when Abram was brought into the land. And so the list of tribes and lands listed below appears to be the inhabitants of the land being promised to Abram. The Kenites and the Kenesites and the Cadmonites, the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Raphaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Gergesites and the Jebusites. These are all those ites. And Eames, Ites and Eames. They already inhabited the land, and some of these are identifiable, others are not, as to where they were located, because the Canaanites seem to, many of these seem to be the descendants of Canaan, but several of them aren't. 
And the Rephaims, the Bible, those are giants. There were giants in the land when Israel came and they sent the spies in. They saw these giants, the Rephaims, you see. And so with that, these are the people that inhabited the land. And Father saying to Abram, all of this land, I'm giving it to you as an inheritance. You got inherited. I'm giving it. It's yours. Now go get it. It's interesting. If you've ever been in negotiation, if you've ever been trying to take possession of something, you set your eyes on it, uh, like this land even. This land was preoccupied. Somebody else owned this land. And we came in to possess it. And there are other lands that somebody else owned. And we're going to go in and possess it. You know, when I was in the Pentecostal church, it was nothing for people to go out and lay hands on properties and lay hands on houses and lay hands on other people's stuff. <laughs> but there's some things that Father has given us, and he's given us the means by which we can go in and take possession. But just like Abram and just like Isaac and, and just like Jacob, oftentimes to take possession of something, you're going to have to pay the people who has it already. You buy it, but you have to have the resources to buy it. And Father knows how to get the resources to you. See, He knows what we need and everything we need. He's already provided for us. We just have to take that mentality that we're going to dispossess, that we're going to take possession, that we're going to claim our inheritance, and that we're going to go forward and occupy so that everything that we need in order to accomplish what we believe he has called us to do, we now have to go forward and go and possess the land. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.